a big part of clerkship is just about being social, mm. right? Like it's actually just about learning how to work on a team and working with other doctors. And if you're good at that, that makes your life like 80% easier. Hi, my name is Jason Joe, a medical student from the University of Toronto. And I'm Dr. David Chu, a family doctor in Toronto, Ontario. And you're listening to What's, What's Up Docs? Docs, a podcast where we share stories about our lives in medicine. Welcome aboard. All right, Jason, welcome back to our show. Today, I thought it would be a good idea that we spend some time talking about clerkship because you're exactly halfway through medical school. And in September, you're going to start doing your clerkship rotations, which is basically where med students go from being learning by book to actually learning in the hospital on the ward. So it's a big transition and basically marks the beginning of your real clinical career. Mm -hmm. Are you excited? Yeah, I've been uh, preparing for this moment for the past two years. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk a little bit first about clerkship in general. Like the way clerkships work at most medical schools is you go on a series of rotations, which basically means you do a few weeks of one thing, a few weeks of something else. You'll do a few weeks like on the medicine ward, a few weeks of psychiatry, a few weeks of family medicine. And this will take you all the way to the end of fourth year. So it is a really interesting time in life because you get to sample a lot of different aspects of medicine, which up to this point, you've only been reading about in books. So you do get to experience a lot of different things or get a taste of a lot of different things. At the same time, it's kind of like a giant audition for people because at the same time as you're trying to get exposure, you're also trying to meet all these doctors quickly. Like you have two or three weeks with each doctor. If they like you, you might be able to get a reference letter from them. Um, if they really like you, they might support your bid to apply to the residency program that they're involved in. So it's also a very stressful time. Mm -hmm. Like it's, a, it, it's exciting and stressful and exhausting at the same time. The other part of it is because you're working on the wards or in the hospital, you start to you start to mimic the life of an actual physician. So when the staff are on call, you're going to start doing on calls. You're going to come in and work on weekends sometimes. You're going to stay up late in the hospital other times. These were all things that like before when I was in your shoes and thinking about clerkship about to begin that made me really nervous because I was I'm generally not someone that stays up late well. And the idea of like, you know, being up at 5 a.m. doing something in the hospital yeah. sounds insane. For me, because the first two years of medical school were kind of like a slog, most people said, just get the clerkship, get the <laughs> clerkship and it's going to get better. And it does get better because you are actually seeing stuff and doing stuff with your hands and you can start to see what some of the learning was for. Um, that's basically where you are at this point, right? Yeah. And I totally echo a lot of stuff that you said as well. Um, I think clerkship hasn't really changed in structure from what you described. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, as you said, a, a really exciting time for uh, medical students to kind of consolidate the knowledge that they had for the past two years. And myself, I'm super excited to uh, meet new challenges. Uh, but I'm also very nervous as well. You're right. I Typically, what am I doing at 5 a.m.? I think for the majority of my life, I've been sleeping soundly in my own bed. <laughs> I think it would be a interesting challenge that I'm uh, excited and a little bit uh, nervous to tackle, but uh, I really hope it goes well. And it seems like uh, every doctor goes through this kind of training process. And so um, that at least gives me a bit of comfort in knowing <laughs> that uh, if everyone else can do it, uh, hopefully I can do it too. Right. Well, you definitely will be able to do it. We all get through it one way or the other. Mm -hmm. 
The interesting thing is, from what I've heard, the clerks don't have it as hard as the doctors or the clerks did like 30 or 40 years ago. Like even when I was doing residency, some of the clerks that we were with, they had special rules at U of T mm. that, you know, you can go home at midnight or something like that, right? You don't have to stay the whole night. Is that still the case now? So I think it depends on the uh, rotation. Okay. I know for our psychiatry rotation, which is actually the rotation I'm starting on, when we're on call, uh, we actually go only until 11 p.m. 11 p.m. That is know. pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that the case for you guys? What about when you guys did psychiatry? When we did, well, in general, we did do call all night long. Okay. So we, you know, when you do call at night, there's a part of the hospital that has like a, a set of rooms. It's like a dorm yeah. where you can sleep overnight. So there are beds and stuff for the clerks on a lot of the rotations. Uh-huh. Psychiatry, I don't remember. So one of the th one of the things to clarify is that not all the rotations in clerkship are the same. Some of them take place in the hospital. Some take place out in the community. Right. So like psychiatry tends to be more of an outpatient uh, career in general. So we did a lot of outpatient psychiatry. Inpatient psychiatry is a bit of a different animal, mm -hmm. right? You're in there. There are patients that are admitted overnight but there's not a lot happening with them overnight unless there's like a psychiatric emergency. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember doing any call for that. Yeah, I think psych itself is uh, pretty unique in that sense. But for all our other calls, yeah, they're all overnight. Um, pretty much uh, you have to work for 24 hours uh, plus two hours of handover. Was that the same policy that for you guys? It's more than 24 hours because usually when you start a shift, you start at, let's say you're, let's say you're on call on Monday, right? Mm -hmm. you, you go into the hospital Monday morning, you work the whole Monday, nine to five or eight to five, and then you get handed over at around five or six o'clock the list of patients that you'll be looking after for the evening, right. right? Which is usually the patients that you've been looking after and probably the patients for some other teams. And they'll have some outstanding tasks that haven't been done going into the evening. So then you're just gonna be carrying a pager for all these patients overnight. So whatever little issues come up overnight, you have to deal with those. Mm. Then that overnight goes into like the next morning. So you get up at five or 6 a.m. to get ready for the next day's handover. So you hand over at seven or 8 a.m. Mm -hmm. And then you round on your own set of patients one more time okay. because those patients need to be seen before you leave. And then you end up finishing it around noon or okay. 1 or 2 p.m. the next day. So you're essentially logging a, what is that, 28, 29-hour day? Right. So that that applies mostly on internal medicine because that's where traditionally that kind of long call is mm. done. And so by the end of that 28, 29 hours, you might have slept two or three hours if you're lucky <laughs> overnight, and you just kind of go home with this like really sticky feeling, like your body is sticky and you need a big shower, mm -hmm. and then you eat something and then you just fall asleep I for the see. afternoon. <laughs> And did you guys have post-call days off um, as well? It depends on the rotations that you're on. So some places do. So I think after you go home, you don't have to come in the next day mm. on some of these rotations. But actually, I had forgotten that post-call days exist until you just mentioned it to me. <laughs> I think it's um, the policies have changed a little bit where... Um, they really try to make an emphasis to try to get students home like right away. Right. I think the hard deadline usually is uh, 10 a.m. in the morning. That's when they kind of <laughs> say you have to be going home, like regardless <laughs> of how much things are going on anymore. Right. I don't think I also think it's kind of depending on the team and the kind of work you want to do. And think as a team player, uh, you know, if everyone's kind of swamped with work. It's kind of also hard to excuse yourself, right? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, I have to go home now. It's 10 a.m. And then these other people have been there for 30 hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, but that is kind of medicine. Like medicine in some ways is still very old fashioned, right? Mm. So they're trying to change the norms from how they were a hundred years ago. So it's a it's moving in a direction where I think that they're taking the students' needs more seriously, mm-hmm. and probably resulting in better outcomes overall because most of us can't function at the thirty hour mark if we're we're not sleeping. The what. So you mentioned that you're going to be starting on psychiatry yes. in September. But right now you've already, you mentioned before the show started that you're actually already in school. Yeah. Right? Your school year started. You're doing like a pre-clerkship thing? Yeah. So for the last two weeks of uh, August, we have something called Transition to Clerkship where uh, we have a series of lectures and workshops to try to get us prepared of what to expect in the hospital. And right. it's actually really nice because if I showed up the first day and, you know, so no one really told what me. What type of stuff do you need to learn about transitioning to clerkship? Like what what, what secrets are they telling you? Um, I think a lot of it is um, logistical kind of things and a lot of things that for people who are probably practicing in the profession is common sense. But for us kind of going into it, like, you know, if you haven't done it, of course you haven't done it, right? <laughs> Uh, like how to manage an airway or like briefly being introduced to, uh, you know, what to expect in an operating room and, you know, how to hand even a scalpel over because I don't really know. What, like, what's which the way. correct way? There's a correct way? There is a correct way. Is like to, don't hand them with the blade exactly, pointing at them. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, these things are common sense. But, you know, when we're all kids, some problem, someone probably told you to hold the scissors not by, <laughs> you know, by the pointing end when you're handing over it to someone else and give them the handout, right? Right. So a lot of these things, I think really help students with uh, kind of getting a head start and, and maybe starting off a little bit less anxious so to know a little bit what to do. Have expect. you learned how to wash your hands, how to scrub in? Yeah, yeah. We're going to be taught that um, <laughs> at the beginning of our surgery rotation, but they briefly uh, touched upon it here. Okay. So you do two weeks of this, and mm-hmm. now and then you're going into psychiatry. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like how many weeks of psychiatry? So I, I believe it's six weeks. Of psychiatry. Okay, and it's all the same rotation, or there's a couple little mini rotations built into that? There's different. I think three weeks I'm on um, consultation liaison, and then the other three weeks I'm on inpatient psychiatry. Okay, so consultation liaison is usually you're being asked to consult on patients of other services. Yeah. So psychiatry is the first six weeks, and then after that you're doing what? Then I go into family medicine, and then I have obstetrics and gynecology. Okay. That pretty much takes us a little bit past the winter break, and then I go to uh, pediatrics. That's pretty much the first half of clerkship. And then the second half of clerkship, I have like anesthesia, ENT, ophthalmology, emergency medicine in kind of the same chunk. So this goes into like 2020, halfway through the year. And then I got surgery. And then lastly, I have internal medicine. Oh, so the heaviest stuff is near the end. You start off with the well-dressed specialties, (laughs) the dermatologists and family medicine. So one question question I have for you is, how how does that rotation order get determined? Is it Mm -hmm. random? Or did you have to pick it somehow? So we have uh, preferences. There were six rotation orders that we could have chosen. Okay. And you kind of rank it from uh, one to six. Right. So the first three were kind of the f- the first couple that I talked about. And then the last three started with the other, uh, the last three I was talking okay. about. So you, you intended to do these ones earlier? Yes, I did. Because? Um, actually, this was actually my third choice of okay. a rotation order. Um, but you kind of just get what you get. <laughs> I mean, the reason it's it's sort of important is because 
at some point in the middle of early in fourth year, you're going to apply to residency programs, right? Mm -hmm. And then people want to make sure that the stuff that they've done will be accounted for during their applications. Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing when I went to medical school because we had a really short clerkship. It was only, it started halfway through third year. So it's like three months shorter than everyone else's at the time. And basically you had like, you could either do like a, medicine block, a surgery block, or this other block. The other block kind of included things like family medicine or dermatology. If you really wanted to do surgery as, you know, you wanted to apply to surgery like nine months from now, you better get your surgery block done before that. So we had this big lottery in the class, kind of like what you're describing, where you tried to get what you wanted right away. And it was, again, another one of these sort of stressful decisions that you had to make while you're in medical school. So I remember, because I definitely wasn't interested in surgery, I put that block at the end. So that block didn't arrive until like February of fourth year, at which point I already finished my applications and and whatnot. So it's challenging because what if you suddenly decide at that point that you want to be a surgeon and you haven't done the block yet? Your applications are already sent in. It's too late. Hmm. So it sounds like for you guys, you guys didn't actually get to use the get to the rotation until after your applications are due some of them yeah for us it's uh we finish by august like end of august next year and the application is due in november so we get to go through right everything that we um kind of want to go right. through and then you do electives and things that mm-hmm. you pick on your own in the yeah. later part of the year but it's also different as well because you know people have different strategies like whether you want to do it in the beginning so that you do it and you make sure you like it or you want to do it towards the end where you were experience you know, experience and you kind of can use Show that to off. impress yourself yeah <laughs> right. uh so at the end of the day i think the order really doesn't matter and you kind of right get what you get it could go well one way or could go badly that way too exactly just one more thing to stress about so just don't stress about it. right in general in life most of the things we stress about are beyond our control anyway mm-hmm. um so that's what you're going to be doing and so you're about halfway done school now mm-hmm. what are your thoughts like if reflect a little bit about what it's been like to finish half of medical school like do you feel like you're half done or do you feel like there's a lot more to go like how's it i feel? mean i think it's wild I, I i don't know if you felt like this too but and i can still you know last week when we first started we saw the uh incoming first years kind of on like their orientation week they right? look really green eh well actually the color of their backpacks is green this year and the shirts were all green so yeah they did look really green <laughs> But I still remember that first day, like coming in, getting my own stuff. And I'm like, wow, like here I am starting medical school. And then here I am, like, you know, halfway done. And uh, I thought it was like a whirlwind, right? And then, but it was, uh, if I think back about all the things that I've learned and the people I've met along the way, I think it's been a fantastic, like two years. What do you think you've learned the most? What do you think are the things that at this point are the things that resonate with you in terms of what you've learned? I think um, one of the things I learned the most would be about myself. Mm. I think the process of like growing up over the past two years, I, I think part of it is a tribute to medical school and part of probably my stage of life in terms of uh, knowing myself a lot better and, and being sure of kind of like my place and uh, what I kind of want for the future. I think that's been really phenomenal mm-hmm. and something what that... Did, what did you think about that coming in? Like when you weren't sure what your place was going to be? Yeah, I was really, really confused actually when I came in. And as we talked about in earlier episodes, right? right. Like Feeling lonely and yeah. left out. Yeah, and so, I think... So what about now? Like what is it about now that you feel like you're more set? Um, 
it comes back to the saying where people say like, you know, you know, this too shall pass or whatever it was, you know, time kind of just keeps flowing. And the more you kind of live in it and the more you experience it, um, like the more I was in Toronto and got to know the people here and got to know the system here, um, like the more I saw, saw myself like fitting in, mm-hmm. I think that was a, a big thing. It was not something I could, I guess, even if I had to go back and give myself some advice it's not like oh yeah if you thought about it this way like everything will be better <laughs> it's pretty much like you just gotta live through it kind of go through the days and the month and things will always get better right i mean i think medical school is a good time to learn that because the schools and the curriculum they're always throwing things at you mm. right if it's not the lottery of clerkship <laughs> order it's your residency application yeah it's the supervisor you meet next week who you don't see eye to eye with and then the one you meet three weeks later who thinks you're the best it's just a, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of the uh, staff and the uh, the senior medical students that kind of went through clerkship before us, um, they always said that clerkship's kind of a roller coaster. Like one week you can feel like you're on top of the world and the other week it can, you know, you can feel like, you know, all hope is lost. Right. And to kind of keep that in mind and um, kind of push through and, and seek help when you can. Right. I mean, I think there is some saying about how like one of the keys to life is to take like the highs and the lows that Uh come with life, but treat them the same. Don't Mm -hmm. let either of them affect you. You know, when it's, and it's, it's easy to say maybe, but even when things are going well, like don't get overconfident don't think everything's gravy. Like sometimes life just has that ebb and flow, right? There are good times. There's also dark times. That's life. Yeah, absolutely. And for a doctor or a medical student, you'll see it up close because you're going to see people who are sick, like patients who are dying, so it is a very emotionally like challenging period of life, like mm-hmm. not just on the personal level, but even professionally, like working with the patients and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a, a very strange period because everything is transient, right? You're in these rotations for a couple of weeks. You'll you'll feel like at the two or three week mark that okay, I get the flow of this, I get the flow of this, yeah. and then the rotation's over, and then you now you're into ophthalmology next week, and you don't know anything again. Exactly. So you're always kind of starting from you know. Right. You're still always starting from the beginning and you're going to get used to that as well. That feeling goes away a bit when you actually start working mm. for a few years <laughs> and then you start getting more set in your ways and you can start a podcast and things yeah. like that at that point. I mean, yeah, even talking about that, right? You have students that you see kind of coming through the clinic and things right. like that. And like, what do you kind of look for in like a, a student or like a, a good student or what kind of tips can you give them? <laughs> Mm, well, first of all, you're not necessarily looking for whether the student is good or not, right? Mm. The main thing is that the students learn while they're with you. So they start somewhere and then they finish a few weeks later somewhere else, ideally, that they didn't come in and get nothing out of this experience. In general, the advice that I got and the advice that I think is the best way to get through clerkship is the that absolute best yeah <laughs> is is a big part of clerkship is just about being social mm. right like it's actually just about learning how to work on a team and working with other doctors and if you're good at that that makes your life like 80 percent easier mm. right on most teams that's actually the main thing right as a clerk you're kind of like an apprentice you know how like when you hire a plumber to come fix your taps at home okay the, the main plumber will come in and there'll be like a learning apprentice plumber with him <laughs> right who has to like do some of the grunt work while the guy directs them that's kind of like what being a clerk is like because you don't really know what you're doing right. a lot of times you're just asked to take notes and, you know record what happened 
But being in that team atmosphere, bonding with the residents and the and the staff above you, uh-huh. that's actually the main thing. So the people who suffer are the people who are a little bit socially like introverted, right? They don't they don't outwardly get along with people that easily. They're a little restrained. They don't laugh at the same jokes like that. That stuff matters, mm. right? So a lot of the advice I could give is try to just be approachable, be open to talking with the people that you meet. And people who are kind of closed off, like reluctant to tell their life story or tell stories, right. it's harder because that's how you connect with people. What about the people who, uh, you know, kind of blurt out their whole life story within a, a minute of meeting you? <laughs> oh, that was you. That was you. <laughs> the reason we're actually sitting here doing this clerk sh- this podcast is because at some point in the middle of the rotation, the you middle, were, not the first day, it was like the third day. And you were like, you know what? Uh, I'm seeing this new girl and I really like her. Is, is that too much information? I'm like, I guess it's all right. We can talk about your girlfriend <laughs> if you want. So, but, but I think because we're able to talk about stuff that makes the experience different, mm. right? If you feel like you're going to a rotation where no one knows you and you can't connect on a personal level with the people that you're working with, that makes things a lot more difficult. I, I think, see. I think in an earlier episode, I talked about this a little bit. One of my first rotations was with a doctor I just couldn't really connect with. Mm-hmm. They were very nice. I learned from them, but there just wasn't that one-on-one like that connection. Also on the opposite side of the spectrum, a lot of the other side of the advice that I got with the like whole clerkship being up and down, a lot of people have said their personality has really worked for some staff, <laughs> like how we're here doing a podcast and it kind of really doesn't work uh, for, for other people. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, kind of, you know, be open, be social, but ultimately be you because right. you know you never really know who's going to well, kind of respond it's like a, that. It's a life lesson, right? You can't please everybody, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to meet some people where you're just you're just uh, oil and water. You're not going to get along with. And you're going to meet some people who get along with great without any effort, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same as having friends. But at the same time, because you're going to meet so many of them, and working in a hospital or as a medical professional is ju- is in this day and age a team thing. Like you do need to learn how to work with other people, mm. right? So that actually is an important part of the process of learning. We we can't say like, oh, just be yourself and you know, <laughs> screw it to all these other people. If they don't like me, they don't like me. We're working in a team. Like you're in a hospital, you're gonna be in a clinic with lots of different people around. Even you working with your receptionist, like you have to learn how to interact with them. So it is important. And I, I think a lot of medical people don't learn that lesson, right? And no one teaches you how to do it because you just get thrown into the wards. Like a few weeks from now when you're on the wards, you're going to see that the nurses are going to start coming and asking you how to do stuff. And mm-hmm. it won't make any sense because you're like, uh, you've been working here for 10 years. You know how to do this. You don't need to ask me. But you've suddenly risen up in the pecking order slightly. And mm-hmm. when you become a resident, you suddenly make another jump. But no one teaches you how to you know, manage a nurse or how to manage a team of students below you. These are things you kind of have to get a feel for. Mm -hmm. And it's important. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I find with students coming through is a lot of just the basic stuff, you know, like be professional, show up on time, dress reasonably well, according to what the culture of the office is. Yeah. Um, one that I find interesting is a lot of the students like to leave gifts at the end of the rotation. So, you know how in our clinic, like we have a lot of snacks, right? There's like the kitchen. And so some of the students at the end of the rotation bring a ton of snacks over. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that like, you know, some students who are really social. Maybe you should bring it on the first day. <laughs> I don't know. They Like I had one student bring in like, you know, gave me recommendations for instant noodles that I should be eating and brought in like a whole set of Chinese snacks. So the office loved her, right? Mm. And then 
it's just different ways of forging connection with people. And I feel like I've gotten very similar advice from different types of staff as well. Like just the way you dress and the way you interact with people um, kind of have this little bit of like, like unconscious or innate kind of bias towards someone. Of course. Where, where it's like, you can't really help it. Cause like, <laughs> you know, you know, some people like to bring snacks or maybe some people like to bring other things or maybe some right. people like to bake cookies. And, and I think trying to be who you're not also is kind of difficult as right. well, but kind of be mindful of, <laughs> of like this kind of stuff too. Is that I what mean, you think? Is I don't know. Is? Have you ever heard, of, you're not married, but have you ever heard of the love languages? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's this idea that different people communicate feelings in different ways, mm -hmm. right? So gifting is actually a way of communication for some people but for other people gifting seems like a ridiculous thing to do is is, is gifting a huge thing in your love language uh <laughs> i think it's more my wife's thing than mine okay <laughs> but that was before we got married and after we got married she just mocks all gifts that we get as being a waste of money <laughs> <laughs> but but i think like so different people have different ways of doing things mm -hmm. right um so there's different ways to express gratitude and stuff I think for me as like a teacher with students, really we're just looking for people to be able to build some connection with mm -hmm. and that they grow over the time that we know them. That's the most important thing because you got to realize the students generally, they, they've never worked in family medicine or they've worked in it for three weeks mm -hmm. or, or six weeks by the time they've met you. And that's considered they have a lot of experience. So they really know very little. And if you can teach them a little bit and that they're a little bit more comfortable at, it at the end of the three or four week period, that's huge. Mm, I see. Now, I got a little question to ask you as well. And something that uh, has been kind of debated as kind of a side topic among my classmates right. is when we go into a rotation, let's say I come into your office for a rotation mm. and you ask me, like, hey, Jason, like, what do you want to do as a specialty? Right. I think there's two ways of approaching it i think one person might say like oh you know i'm interested in x uh, but i'm also very happy to learn about family medicine and, and the whole general thing and you kind of be honest about right. uh, what you want to learn or i think a lot of other people and the way that they approached it was oh well, like i love family <laughs> medicine like please teach me everything about family medicine to kind right. of make your preceptor like you a little bit and get you more opportunities i mean um how I do you feel about that i hear what you're saying there's basically, what you're telling me is there's basically two types of medical students. There's the authentic guys and girls, and then there's the inauthentic ones. Uh, I want to, I want to use authentic <laughs> as, as, as the word, but, um, you know, there's, there's people who, who are a little bit more forthright about it. And there's, you know, obviously, cause we talked a bit about unconscious right. bias. I, I don't know if, you know, if you, if you knew that, you know, I want to be a family doctor, I totally want to, you know, take over, I mean, learn everything from you and, you know, versus like I was doing something else and I still wanted to learn a lot, but you're I mean, like, well, how's my, it related? My thing is people should be, be honest mm -hmm. because if you're not honest, we'll see through it after 20 minutes anyway. Right, right. <laughs> right. The good thing in family medicine is that family medicine is very general. So the people that come through my office, I generally don't face this issue too much because at the very least, they're still learning some general medical knowledge that they can apply to help them finish medical school. But if I was a surgeon or something and the knowledge was very, very specific, and it's like really if you're not going to become you know, a plastic surgeon, you really don't need to know this at all. Mm -hmm. It would be hard for people to try to pretend that they're really into it, right? You basically can figure out if the person's into it or not by asking them what else have they done in their summertime? What else do they do in their free time? How they've arranged their schedule? <laughs> so there's no sense like trying to beat around the bush. <laughs> and has this... Uh on a, on a follow-up question, has this happened to you where, you know, maybe a student comes in and they're like, oh yeah, like I'm 100% into surgery and maybe working with you for like four weeks or like, 
you know, you completely changed my mind. Like, is that one of the, you know, the, uh, I guess the gold medals of teaching or is that just, just not it? You know what? I actually don't think of it as a gold medal because I don't really think what career the student picks is a reflection of me. Whatever you end up picking, you want to do with your life is something that has to work for you. Mm-hmm. And I'd hate for you to feel like, you know, I had a really good experience in this office or I had a really bad experience with this office and it colors my perception of that field overly one way or the other, right? I need you to find what you need to do with your career. And sometimes that's, and that's not going to happen over three or four weeks anyway. It happens over like five years, mm-hmm. right? Or, or whatever amount of time it takes people to figure out. So I, I think they need to go on their own path. I don't value that particularly. I see. I see. Yeah. So let's summarize a little bit. So we talked about um, like your experiences going through clerkship, kind of what I've learned over the past two years and uh, what's up ahead for me for the next year. Some tips for clerkship. Um, kind of looking for the uh, coming month for the listeners. We'll be meeting probably once a, a month and trying to kind of detail a little bit my journey through clerkship and also kind of picking Dr. Sue's brains about uh, what's going on in his life and talking about random topics here and there. Hope you guys can uh, come along with us and uh, enjoy the journey. On that note, are you ready for clerkship to start? Absolutely. That's like 10 days from now. I am super excited. (laughs) All right. We'll see you in a month. See you in a month.